Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We find out why people do what they do, how they do it, and what the future of their work is. My guest today is Matthew Cordner. We caught up a couple months back about Kathara guitars. Alongside Luthi and Chris Moffat, they've been releasing incredible guitars that I've had the privilege of playing. 9 out of 10 in Guitarist magazine. Hands of Corey Wong, Ariel Posen, phenomenal players. Check them out at katharaguitars.com. Well, this is Matthew Cordner. Matt, it's good to chat. Uh, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Um, so you are the entrepreneur behind uh, where Kithara Guitars is going. And um, this is just really lovely because I'm a, a bit of a guitar geek, always have been. And um, yeah. it's lovely to speak to someone who's actually responsible for putting guitars out in the world um, that are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think entrepreneur is definitely a, a big title, but I guess it... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's all part of the fun. Um, but yeah, no, I've been involved with Kathara for um, almost a year now, yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy fun ride so far, and um, lots of lots of ups and downs, and um, I think that all kind of comes with part of the package of uh, starting something and uh, trying to grow a brand out of a very small company. Yeah. So t- tell us about Kathara. What what are these creations that you have, and uh, and then we, it'd be cool to hear how it got going, how you got into it. Yeah, yeah. So Kathara, we um, handcraft electric guitars um, from just outside Belfast, um, a little town called Ballyclare, um, where our workshop's currently at. Um, and we have four different models, um, the Harland, Astral, Ormsby and 56. Um, and our kind of ethos is taking quite classic designs, um, but applying a kind of modern touch, modern influence, like kind of a lot of the Americana design and um, some of the materials and stuff we use that wouldn't be so commonly used um, in other brands. Um, And then just trying to, we're not trying to innovate or change the guitar, but we're trying to kind of bring something from the past and um, bring it to kind of the modern music scene. um, And hopefully kind of people, people love that and want to get on board with it, which it seems to have been so far. Wow. And and how did it get going? Yeah. So Chris, um, he, I think initially was studying property at uni, um, just out of school. And I think after a while realized that he really didn't enjoy property and he'd kind of just taken it as the route that he thought he should go down um but always had this passion for for guitars um as a customer and then i think saw a kind of training program to become a a luthier um with one of the other guitar brands in northern ireland um and just thought like you know what there's it's time to just leave uni and and jump into this instead um so did this kind of two-year course and then um, on the back of it started Kathara um, and it was kind of from an acoustic background as well the luthier course so kind of the first few Kathara guitars were acoustic guitars oh, kind wow. of similar to um, the likes of kind of Avalon and Loudon guitars um, where the kind of construction background would have come from wow. and then that kind of transitioned over the last three three and a half years or so um, to becoming kind of finding the niche within the handmade electric stuff um, noticing that there's kind of a bit of a gap within the UK market um, and a lot of the kind of competitor brands are either US based or elsewhere in Europe. Um, and then wanting to kind of try and bring that reputation that the Irish guitar making has um, into the electric scene as well. Um, so Chris had kind of been running that for, yeah, about, about three years. And then we'd met kind of through mutual friends. I was working um, in marketing at the time and kind of I was it was a small company. I was enjoying it and like I had a lot of kind of autonomy within the role and 
um, it was definitely a kind of good platform to learn a lot of the kind of core principles and skills of um, and certainly on the marketing and sales side. Yeah. Um, but I was always kind of had one eye on like if there was something out there to, that could be more entrepreneurial in that I could kind of dive into when it's very small um, and be part of the building up rather than joining something that's already kind of 100, 150 people. Yeah. yeah. Like I was always kind of felt like that's where I wanted to be. Um, so met Chris and he'd got to the stage of those three years where he, he was kind of running out of time to do the business side as well as trying to build all the guitars himself. Yeah. Um, and was like, if this is going to be more than an expensive hobby, which is what his mom used to call it. Um, <laughs> he was like, I'm going to have to look at like taking this more seriously. Um, so we kind of over the course of a couple of months got into this conversation of what, like, what would it look like for us to um, kind of almost restart this together and, and for me to kind of take more of a hold on the business side and, and push us forward that way and then allow him to kind of really focus on what he's good at with the building the guitars yeah and um i mean like i got my my mitts on some uh i think it was just for christmas try that yeah and, yeah um, and i mean there was like you could feel the the beauty and the artistry of how it'd been made and, and the attention mm. behind how you explain that like they are classic in feel but um i just i think i kind of fell in love with it a wee bit and yeah uh, you know you can feel you're drawn together the passion people have for playing guitars and this endless pursuit of tone, which mm-hmm. is is known amongst a lot of um, musicians, is basically just obsession. And then yeah, yeah. spending too much money on it as an adult, I mm-hmm. think. Um, yeah, really... I think that's probably one of the most rewarding parts is definitely like seeing people who are obsessed with their guitars and their tones and yeah. like playing one for the first time and kind of seeing the like, the enthusiasm they have for it almost immediately um and the conversation that kind of builds on the back of that um it's definitely like yeah both chris and i would say it's definitely one of the most rewarding parts of um being in the guitar business and both being kind of guitar guys ourselves yeah and how how has that been building this this brand of you know craft um bespoke pieces in the middle of this last year this, this pandemic that's been going on what was it like carving this business out of um out of this guitar a yeah. joy that you had over the last year and a bit yeah because I think like when I joined the brand um was mid-April last year um so kind of still yeah like kind of in the early stages of um all the COVID stuff going on and um kind of heavy in a, a lockdown at that stage and um I wasn't actually able to get over to the, the workshop for the first kind of six months of, yeah. of working there so I didn't actually see Chris build a guitar for the first six seven months so it was all bit of a leap of faith to see if he could actually do it or not um I was just taking other people's word for it but um it definitely like I think the guitar industry as a whole kind of held up pretty well in the last year um probably a mix of people um being on furlough maybe working from Mm -hmm. home like not going on holiday maybe having a bit of extra money that they would have been putting towards something um like a holiday or like something for their kind of the kids or something like that and um or just kind of looking at their guitar collection being like being able to play a bit more and be like, Oh, maybe I'll look to add something to that. And, um, so a lot of like other brands and retailers and stuff we've spoken to have like had a really good last year. Um, so we guys have been very fortunate in that to be part of that and to be able to kind of benefit from that and not, um, struggle as much as some of the other industries have done. Yeah. And what's kept that going for, for you both where a lot, a lot of people were, um, really stressed or, or mm. living in a, a story where things are failing and um it's very easy to not take a risk or not take a step to put mm. something new out or to um 
to choose to look at the market favorably how how has it been for you for you and chris when you talk about creating something new how do you keep that perspective up in in the midst of what you know obviously for so many people is a very unfavorable time mm-hmm. yeah i think in one way we're really kind of blessed that it the pandemic happened when it did and not in a year's time because <laughs> um, i think like from the being at that kind of almost startup phase um, we were kind of very aware of like what their struggles and restrictions were going to be. Um, and we're definitely also were at a stage where like our overheads were very low. Yeah. It was just Chris building and, and the workshop at the moment is kind of just based out of a um, converted garage at his house. So he's able Love to it. kind of work the entire way through materials and stuff weren't too much of an issue either. Um, so it was kind of like both of us being aware of if we can um, kind of really kind of bunker in at the moment, like, just Chris get away with building and, and try and get all the supplies in we can. Um, and then just be used to the fact that for the next kind of six, seven months, we're not going to be able to do a lot of the things in person that we want to do. Sure. Um, but if we can kind of like build enough of a momentum during this time, then hopefully like on the other side of a pandemic, we'll kind of have more um, of a foothold to be able to kind of keep moving forward that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why did you join, you know, you, you were saying you were in a quite a, comfortable position before doing some interesting stuff um and again i'm not sure if if it was after the pandemic started that you did the did the jump over but what is it that drew you to join this and why did you join Kathana? yeah so i think there was kind of a few reasons um from the early conversations i had with chris it kind of it felt like straight away i was like this this could be the sort of thing i've been looking for in terms of like it's small like there's a lot of potential there um at the time i'd only kind of heard of a couple of people who'd either had or had played Katharas um, and we're like oh these guitars are great like Chris is great at what he does like um, something very unique so to the point where I kind of would have taken their word for it more than my own experience because right. they're much better guitarists um, <laughs> so there kind of was a lot of interest there and the guy we actually met through I think possibly on the first day that we met um, he was kind of almost matchmaking and he was like oh like Chris it looks like you kind of need someone to come in and do some business side and like oh Matthew you kind of it doesn't seem like you're loving your job right now and like <laughs> you're looking for something and like oh this could be a perfect little so we, it was all kind of a joke um until over those next kind of few weeks it progressed more and more into like oh actually maybe he was right maybe there's something in this um so that on one side and then on the other side of the job um I was in kind of end of March they were putting basically our whole team on furlough um and yeah. it was probably about a week before I was gonna hand in my notes anyway um, I'd kind of got to the stage where I'd, I was conflicted because I was feeling bad about leaving the company during obviously a very hard time um, and was kind of like, all right, I'll just get these final things agreed with Chris and then I can say to them, look, like I'm going to be leaving, but I'll happily work a bit longer if that's going to help. Yeah. Um, so then when the kind of call came and they were putting the whole team on furlough, I was like, oh, that's I might just actually leave right now. So <laughs> it's a good time to transition across. Um, so then within, within about a week or two, I was then kind of, like full-time with with Cathara working with Chris and um starting kind of this blank sheet to to build up a business yeah right. and that jump's been um it's kind of cool you know what have you always had that ambition or desire to to kind of go for the next thing that you see in or have you had a, an appetite for a small business or for risk and how, how did that develop in you because you know again a lot of people just great furlough sign me mm-hmm. up I'll um, chill for a while and, and keep my eye out on other stuff. Yeah, I think just from having enough influences around me that always encouraged that entrepreneurial side. 
um, whether it be kind of family members or friends who had their own businesses um, or kind of just gone out and tried lots of things. And then um, especially like just encouraging while you're young to take these risks. Um, and it was actually my my boss at my last company had said to me like a, a few years before I'd worked with them, um, like go out there kind of in your 20s, take as many risks as you want, even if you fail with them all you'll still only be 30 in 10 years time. Um, so I then ended up kind of quoting him back to himself when I was leaving the company. I was like, uh, some wise man once told me to go out there and take all the risks I wanted. Um, and then I can always get a safe job later than not in life. That's great. He said, fly little bird. So I'll be yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, and you know, who, who's inspired that in you? Cause I, I love the, the entrepreneurial spark. Again, the word entrepreneur has been just battered around loads. I think in, for me, I remember growing up in Scotland, um, the encouragement might have been stay safe, get into the solid thing, pursue mm-hmm. education. Um, and then when, I remember the point when the four hour work week book came out and yeah. it was 2006, Tim Ferriss, and I thought I I was prime market for that guy's uh, marketing of mm-hmm. um, take a punt, do this thing that, that sounds like more of a challenge. Um, what was it like developing that entrepreneurial spark and over the years? Yeah, I think like part of me out of uni almost felt like I wanted to go and do something like that. Um, there was a, I didn't just quite have the thing I was looking for, but there was a few times I was like, oh, maybe now's the time just to try and jump into something. Yeah. Um, but I think very grateful that I went, went to this company and worked for those couple of years um, just to get a bit more experience. But then as soon as there was the opportunity there, I was always kind of had that feeling within me to be like, this is what I wanted to do. And this is, I want to can take, take these risks and, um, search after more entrepreneurial, um, attributes kind of within myself and, yeah. and looking for opportunities to kind of be out there in the business world without having to kind of follow a set route or path. Right. And, um, I love that. Cause what, what would you sort of say folks if they're in that similar place just now? Cause you know, maybe they're thinking about launching something new or, doing an adaptation after what the last year's brought mm-hmm. them where where could people go to you know to get that inspiration or or who do you draw from yeah yeah I think there's lots of stuff out there certainly like social media at the moment um especially when you start looking at some things that like the way the kind of algorithms work you always just get overrun with all sorts <laughs> of different backgrounds right. um and motivational speakers and entrepreneurs and stuff all giving you kind of um, all the kind of keynote speeches and, and little sound clips you need to go out there and start a business and, yeah. and conquer the world and all the rest. That's true. Um, so I think like I found that useful, like we spoke earlier, guys like Gary Vee who kind of yeah. talk a lot from a marketing perspective, um, but also have like a, I guess, very kind of like full view on entrepreneurship and the kind of risks and the um, the kind of highs and lows involved and, and a lot of the kind of patience that's involved in that as well. Yeah. Uh, Gary V, I remember him coming in where he just was like, "Hey, if you want to start a business, just back when he says, just stop watching Lost, just stop, yeah, stop yeah. watching Lost." He put it more, more colorfully. Um, but I, yeah, there is, there's, you know, and um, we love the Entree Leadership podcast. Um, mm. Ken Coleman's been someone that's inspired us a lot. Like, I love that stuff. But there's been this draw to um, take a step, and and for a lot of people, they say now is the best time ever to start doing something that mm. you know represents what your passion is because the tools are there the the level of risk is so low because the overheads are negligible but if, if you've got a product or a course or 
as you see now a guitar like now is a, yes. such an interesting time to put something out that you're passionate about and the channels to to share it are huge yeah 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 definitely and i think there's always going to be another excuse not to do things and especially yeah. at the moment there's probably a million excuses with the pandemic and all the restrictions and lockdowns and maybe people not having the resources they might have had um but i think like now is a good time as ever to do these things that's great where do you see Kathara going then? You know, that you have this um, phenomenal brand. I was reading the guitar, Guitarist magazine. It just mm. hit a 9 out of 10 review mm-hmm. with, I mean, like they couldn't say anything off about it, which was beautiful. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was really, really inspiring seeing that. And again, you know, it was like first one in the in the review section. Loved it. Seeing seeing this thing that was crafted in in the workshop now in the public space a bit more or seeing these artists pick it up where do you guys see it going yeah i think for us like we take a lot from other brands um both in the kind of acoustic scene the irish companies that i talked about but the likes of avalon and loudon yeah um but then also some of those american competitor brands as well um just because a lot of them have they've been around a lot longer than us and they can kind of show you a bit of a route map in terms of how you reach wider markets how you kind of get into other countries and um there's kind of probably two sides of it for us at the moment that retail as much as the high street kind of probably isn't what it was certainly online retailers are still like a huge place for people to get their guitars from rather than going just straight to manufacturers um and certainly give you a platform to like have your guitars be seen and be tried by lots of people as well um so that's kind of one route we've looked at throughout the last year obviously it's been hard to try and convince retailers to take on a new brand during a time when maybe their sales have gone down a bit or um, especially the smaller kind of brick and mortar stores, which would rely on a lot of the high street mm. traffic. They've really struggled in the last year. Um, and they're often the ones that do take the risk on kind of small brands and um, stock kind of more boutique stuff. Yeah. Okay. So they have been a bit of a hard sell at points, but there's definitely been openings we've seen with them and some of the bigger ones who then like have had a very good year um, and are looking at new brands um, to try and push our retail side forward and, I think like we'd love to get to a stage where we only sell direct um, because we Mm. love that kind of like face to face interaction with a customer and being able to be the first experience they have of the brand and um, working with them through the kind of custom build. And and a lot of what we do is still going to be that. um, But I think to kind of get out there, especially into other countries and reach a wider market, it's going to have to be like a lot of a lot of retailers and and like certainly in the likes of the States and Canada and stuff like to reach into those markets, you've kind of got to be working with um shops that kind of already have a bit of a name there because it's it's hard to kind of just throw your guitar into the mix and um especially when you don't have a presence over there right. where people can go and try them out yeah um yeah so that definitely one side and then kind of from a, a brand side um things the likes of the the guitarist review and um working with them and other publications to try and push that forward um because that definitely goes a long way in terms of showing people the quality of a guitar um without them actually having to try it themselves yeah and um, what was the um, the story with you, you had Corey Wong of Wolfpack mm-hmm. and his own fame and <laughs> mastery um, using the guitar at, at one of the sessions? And um, yeah. I think that was where I first sort of saw some of what you guys have been doing. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think for many, he's he is a guitar hero uh, yeah. for the kind of over the last couple of years. Uh, what was it connecting with with artists like that? Because again, it was like wow, big move. You've got. Um, this company just starting but you've got one of the most phenomenally inspiring players globally um, jamming mm-hmm. with it at, at, at a gig in Ireland what, what was happening there that's cool 
Yeah, like the details of the story, I think it was kind of before my time, so um, Chris would have it better. But I think basically that kind of through, he'd, he'd gone down and seen him when he was touring in Ireland. Um, and then I threw kind of a friend, I'd got to chat to him a bit and I'd kind of explained that he builds guitars and stuff. And um, and then he'd, he'd gone away back to the workshop. And I think he, I think Corey was touring for maybe a couple more weeks um, around the kind of south of Ireland. And um, I think Chris had just sat with it. He was like, oh, like I should just build him a guitar. I should just try and get something out there. And um, ended up kind of building a guitar um, with him in mind and kind of adding in his little kind of logo to the, yeah. the 12th fret. And um putting together something that was kind of, yeah, unique for him, not just a, a general guitar off the shelf. Yeah. And then got a chance to kind of um, meet, meet him again at the next show he went down to um, and kind of present him with this guitar. Yeah. Um, and then, so he kind of did like a little video with it and then ended up doing the rest of his his tour um, throughout the kind of Ireland and the UK with, with this guitar. Love it. Um, there was then like a big, obviously like yourself, like a lot of people were like, oh, I see like Corey Wong was yeah. playing like, and even like people kind of still remember that and um he's kind of got deals with other brands and much bigger brands and um so it's pretty rare now that you would kind of see um yeah. him with the Cathara, but it's still kind of like there's enough traction there and, and he kind of has enough relationship with us as well that um he'll kind of yeah still kind of stay connected and help us out here and there and stuff and um again like art you kind of experiences you have with artists definitely shape a lot of Right. Like from a from a production point of view, if there's anything you're changing, if like an artist has told you like, oh, like this is great, but can you do this differently? Um, that kind of gives you a lot of that like, motivation to be like, oh, they obviously know what they're talking about. Like, let's do this differently. And yeah. um, they're also obviously a great kind of entry into a network of other artists as well. And um, word of mouth definitely spreads between um, artists, especially kind of around that sort of music scene. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you end up kind of, yeah, getting connected with different bands and artists and um just giving you opportunities to kind of grow that platform and um it's that's another area kind of we're looking at at the moment is we're chatting to a few different artists um in the uk and in the us um and it's amazing if you get the right artist who has a kind of interest in guitars even if they have deals with the biggest brands like they always want to talk to a guitar brand and they always (laughs) want to like just throw around ideas and and see kind of designs come together and um i think it's probably guitar interest is definitely kind of a, a leveling um of the playing field for a lot of people and um, yeah. whether they're super famous or whether they've like just picked up the guitar if they have that passion like everyone's kind of in the same boat yeah yeah that's it's lovely when you can go back to just feeling like you're little geeks going over all these pieces of the guitar that mm-hmm. um there's there's always the bit of the party where if guitar chat comes up yeah. where half the people zone out but there is the guilty pleasure of feeling like yeah, and now we're talking about what we really want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pickup wiring and <laughs> yeah, neck radius. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Clears the room, but uh, yeah. it's, it's very joyful. <laughs> yeah, no, I've definitely learned a lot about that um, just from joining the company and thinking I was a guitar guy until you meet some other guitar guys and then you realise how little you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, I went to visit, I think it was Jimmy Egypt, this kind of legendary guitar um crafter and repair guy in in the south side of glasgow and i went with a mate who um was over from the states and he'd wanted two guitars to get a setup and uh over we went just like road trip he's like i gotta get it to this guy he took it in the shop and i I think i'd been in once before and had no idea what a thing was but they went at it for like 45 minutes debating the finesse of the kind of wood (laughs) that was in a brand that neither of them had and it, it was like it was like a sparring competition this like yeah. passion between them i think um 
he's Jimmy he's maybe done, done stuff for Brian May and he's mm. you know got a set up galore of everyone but just still this absolute passion to go toe-to-toe over the merits of frets yeah. and pieces of guitar it's like this beautiful passion that's that's right there <laughs> yeah no it is amazing it kind of like bridges age gaps as well people yeah. are kind of coming into the the scene now in their kind of mid to late teens to people who are kind of late 60s early 70s like yeah. it's still the same passion and a lot of the same instruments that are still being played by both ages as well which is amazing yeah because there was a while where it felt like maybe partly the surprise of seeing a an amazing bespoke guitar company set there, there was a while where it felt like guitars might die out or mm. the kind of music that was was tracking wasn't inspiring people to start by picking up the guitar it was maybe inspiring them to get into um sampling or beats or electronic style music but what where does guitar music go from here what, what are you guys seeing yeah i think like guys like Corey wong um are mm. definitely kind of great pioneers for it um because there's still lots of people picking up the guitar and wanting to learn because of like Sakori or yeah. like we certainly find John Mayer is still a huge yeah. catalyst for um certainly kind of my age people but even like kind of teenagers now are still listening to his music and wanting to play his songs and his yeah. riffs and yeah um I think it music will definitely dictate a lot of how guitar um is used and the kind of future of the industry yeah um so I think it's kind of important that we're always trying to keep that in there um and there's obviously a lot of music these days a lot of the kind of popular music that wouldn't have much guitar in it and it is more kind of electronic and um all kind of computer done but i think there's probably enough um and i'd like to think there probably always will be enough Mm -hmm. um of that kind of mix of styles and music that there always kind of be a place for guitar um and it'll just be a case of what that looks like and and how guitar kind of manufacturing and the industry has to adapt to kind of um keep with that yeah 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 i'm with you on the the john mayer thing i realized the other day i think is um his live in LA album that he did where he was the, mm-hmm. the opening act, the support act and the headline act in, yeah. in different guises. I think that was like 15 or 16 years old now. Suddenly wow. thought, oh my goodness, I now feel old for liking the album, which brought back blues to a lot of players. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> class stuff there. So, um, you know, and how, and how you guys work and, and how you do this day by day, um, how do you how do you do what you do? You know, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a as a musician, just starting this brand, uh, really interesting. Like, what what has shaped um, your morning routines, your daily routine to to do it? How do you do it? Yeah, I think it's trying to keep yourself motivated with with that how and with that why yeah. um, of just knowing the kind of reward of being in this in this industry and kind of in. The entrepreneurial space of doing your own thing um i think for me it's helpful to always kind of look back as well um and kind of pick apart the things that i didn't like about working for a bigger company and um working kind of month to month for the same paycheck with the same team and always kind of having to go through your layers of management to get anything approved or um put out and i think for me that's a lot of it that it's it's the freedom to be kind of creative and to have the entrepreneurial side and um for it to be very kind of what you put in is related to what you get out yeah um and if you kind of have a a great week of work you'll see that um reflected in the way that the business kind of grows and the opportunities that you're able to push into um rather than it being a case of like in a job where if you kind of do the bare minimum to get by or if you do all the extra hours you're still going to probably see the same result 
Um, And that's kind of not just on the financial side as well. I think the kind of just internal motivation that comes with that as well to see like a a brand succeed and to be able to look at something like Cathara and and see the kind of the magazine reviews and the artists and stuff and be like, oh, we've we've built this, we've created this. And um, if we didn't push those opportunities, like those, they wouldn't have happened by chance. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's a big part for me, I think, and, and Chris would share that as well. That it's it's a lot of um, just reminding yourself like why you made the decision to to start it. Yeah. Um, and trying to keep that perspective as you as you grow it and as you um, move and as things get busier, um, so that you don't kind of get lost in like a uh, like is this really as good as I thought it would be? Like, I think always keeping that first why um, yeah. constant throughout the whole process is definitely helpful for myself. Yeah. And when when your why gets pushed or or pressed you know maybe now as the thing Mm. starts to expand how um how do you how have you stress tested your why or um have you had moments where that's been pushed and and you've had to kind of clarify or knuckle down onto your why yeah i think a bit um there's definitely been times where it's been helpful even to look back like a month or two months um and see like oh man this is hard now but if you go back a couple months the struggle was different um and the, the why kind of worked for then um so it's gonna it's gotta work for now as well nice. <laughs> um and i think just like yeah remembering what you enjoy about it um and focusing on those things and and allowing yourself not to kind of get too stressed or too caught up in like whatever's happening at the moment because ultimately like there's going to be more of that to come and things yeah. are probably going to get harder and busier and more stressful. Yeah. Um, so if you can't kind of be constant with like taking a step back and looking at what you've built so far um, and then being able to kind of then like kind of knuckle back in and be like, okay, let's go again and yeah. um, let's keep pushing forward. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also helpful with like both personally, but also from a business perspective, like to always look back at your kind of start business plan, your start kind of goals, um, both practically as to what you wanted to set out and grow the business to be um and then also just like the the motivation behind it um and be like is this still what we're doing like why has that changed if it's changed like is it changed because we've been forced to change is it changed because we've like decided there's a better route to go um and what do we need to kind of alter in our plans to kind of bring it back to to what we first envisioned it being um, and what we believe it still can be right and um, you know, and really interested how people, especially in these quite chaotic startup seasons, how do they organise their time and energy, or mm. you know, morning routines and habits that they do? Um, you you're saying actually, when you have a commute, there's something useful about that. How how do you enjoy the commute, or did you enjoy the commute? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it, certainly at the moment it was a, a past tense of the commute, <laughs> um, but I, usually when I'm over in Ireland more, I'll kind of. Um, commute more between like kind of Belfast and, and the workshop and even yeah. just like kind of 20 minute drive I find in the morning is is helpful just to kind of like get yourself out of the the phone and the laptop and yeah. um, listen to some music listen to a podcast kind of just take some time even just to think through like okay what do I want to achieve today yeah. um, with that kind of book ended with your commute home being like what like what did I achieve today yeah what would I have changed um, and then just using that time to kind of switch off and be like okay i need to have a bit of separation between yeah. the work life and the the personal life um yeah. which is probably growing importance at the moment with more and more people working at home and, and struggling to find that balance yeah the the splits between the different spaces and head spaces then mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. really blurred for for some um articulated greatly by just jammies and main meetings yeah, that people yeah. have or, um but it's and it does feel tricky like if people have the the 
the benefit of an additional room or space that you can shut mm. down the computer and shut the door on it. That's huge at the moment. But for many, of course, the biggest change between working spaces might just be the changing of tabs in the browser or um, yeah. or when the you know Netflix is on because the family's in and so the internet just is too slow to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's definitely difficult. Yeah, but that, that blurring of the nine, to, you mentioned the blurring of the nine to five or the, the mm. um, stewarding that space. How, how does that work for you? Um, where you expand that night five thought into something Yeah, else. I think, because I think if, for me personally, um, being in this kind of very small kind of startup space, like it doesn't really work to stick to the yeah. nine to five because if something comes through in the evening, you want to deal with it then and there and you want to like um, go back and forth with that potential customer and um, either secure that sale or deal with the problem that's come up. Um, so I think acknowledging that and then not then holding yourself too strictly to your hours that... yeah if you do have a time in the morning where you're not feeling very productive, like take that as your step back and go out for a walk then and um, go, go and have a coffee and kind of take a break then because you may well be back in the evening and you may have a more productive space then. Um, So, and you don't want to always be working because obviously you're just going to burn yourself out that way. Yeah. Um, But being able to kind of just, yeah, not become fixated on like my week is Monday to Friday, nine to five, but my week might be nine to five on a Monday, but a Tuesday, like I might, take a morning off but then be working to like 10 11 at night it's kind of yeah. very varied um but i think the only way it probably works to be working at home living at home um while running a business is definitely you have to kind of like listen to your mind and where you're productive and where you're creative and be like okay this this isn't working right now let i'll go and yeah. take a break and then i'll come back to this later and um i find for me like it often is the evenings where i'll get a lot of work done yeah um yeah. And it can sometimes be like a Saturday night that something will come through. And um, obviously, if you're working across different time zones as well and speaking with American yeah. retailers and stuff, they're in a um, different working hours to you as well. So you've kind of got to be willing to adapt um, in order to make make the most of a lot of the opportunities that come your way. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's that uh, rhythm of, um, I can't remember who was articulating it, but just finding the, the peak of the day that different people mm, have. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it might swing to those that have you know they can slay their dragons before breakfast they just smash everything out in the morning routine before yeah. the rest of the fam have even risen or um you know they might have a peak moment in mm-hmm. that morning time and then others that actually peak later in the afternoon um and so they they kind of give kindness to themselves over where in the day they are going to be strong and um, yeah and then and then that you think i think a lot of folks in the creative industry there's this joy that comes at 11 o'clock at night where mm-hmm. <laughs> whole new energy comes, whole new yeah. bunch of creativity and ideas and uh, having the luxury yeah, to to grab hold of that and put it into the day is, is phenomenal. Yeah, and that was a culture as well that was built with the company I worked at before because our whole team worked probably 90% of the time remotely. Yeah. Um, and my boss and that said like, like we always say to like our, our coders and programmers, if you code best at 11 p.m., you could 11 p.m like yeah yeah yeah. don't don't bother sitting and checking in at nine o'clock if that's not what works for you like as long as you're doing your hours and kind of getting through your work like do it whenever suits you best Um, so I guess being quite used to that before coming into this definitely helped Um, and and I'm aware already that if I need to kind of brainstorm something and and kind of have a strategy session I won't do it in the morning like it may be best at 11 p.m. and maybe yeah. best like as I'm kind of lying in bed like just taking notes at night yeah um it's often where I'll be a lot more creative than trying to force it in the morning or something like that yeah yeah wow and I think cool that you give yourself grace for that because a lot of folks 
there's a guilt involved with working outside the standard hours or mm-hmm. a pressure to uh, to put it into a certain format um, and you know actually if you can carve that out for the, the time of life that you're yeah. in uh, and then you get something that makes this brand because, because you know like you say there's creative brands and there's brands with a creative magic or passion about yeah. it I think that's what I definitely associate with Cathara is it's not just a really cool piece of kit it's, it's art that you are working with mm-hmm. as well as something which is an incredible you know high performance piece of of kit for professional players or, or that kind of stuff yeah. um so we're really interested in how that injects the kind mm. of art or creativity that, that he's excited about with the brand yeah yeah and we definitely get the odd person who just views the guitar as a piece of art and wants to just put it on the wall and not even yeah. play it so <laughs> definitely <laughs> oh, I, I, i'm like i feel so mixed of it part of me loves that idea and part of me is horrified by that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and you know as you're doing it you're saying you're testing stuff out and interested in failures as well or perceived mm. failures that actually swing around to become um strong moments for people especially as they're as they're building a new thing um what's your what's your relationship to failure like yeah um love hate i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think like personally there's always been moments of failure that have really kind of pushed me forward um and not always even kind of pushed me forward but sometimes even just like opened up new opportunities or kind of changed my plans in ways that on reflection looking back and I can see like oh I'm really glad that happened that way um and I think like in my own life like even moving moving to Edinburgh seven years ago was because I kind of failed to get the grades I needed to go to the my first choice university and ended up right right Um, so I think like that was probably one of the first kind of moments of failure I noticed that I was like oh actually like I'm within three months of being in Edinburgh I was very glad that that happened Um, and the same kind of happened again whenever I wanted to study abroad I'd applied to one university in the states and um, got offered like a a kind of half term there or something because there was too many applicants and um, because of that failure ended up going to a different one in in Los Angeles and kind of meeting people there and getting lots of opportunities there that I wouldn't have got had I not kind of failed in the first place Um, so I always kind of had like a personal reflection with failure that usually like well I think in pretty much all circumstances looking back and I'm kind of glad I had failed where I'd failed yeah Um, yeah yeah and then we've definitely kind of seen that with Cathara as well there's been um opportunities and and doors that have opened that we really thought like this is the way that we need to go this is how we kind of move from being a small brand into kind of a mid-sized brand and yeah um this is how we kind of get a leg up on the competition that have then kind of like closed in our face and we've been like oh like we thought this was the route we were going and um <laughs> whether that be with like kind of an, an artist or a big retailer or something yeah. and, and sometimes these can be over the course of a few months that you're kind of working towards them and um it's it can be hard to not take that setback um yeah. because you'd become so fixated on that being your your route and your plan and um, yeah. not to take it too hard and um kind of have to rebuild but just to kind of keep looking forward and, and look for the next one and um yeah i think even in that as well like in the last year there's been some of those failures with big retailers that we've then ended up landing some other retailers and kind of being glad that we kind of held to our guns yeah. and what we wanted to do and the tactics that we wanted to employ with retailers and not kind of just bent to meet their demands or um the kind of contracts they wanted to put in place yeah yeah it's it's cool i like um i find that you mentioned uh, coming to Edinburgh or coming to LA because there's mm. I think there's something interesting about those two places like for me yeah um, Edinburgh where I, I live you know just outside of it love it um there's something 
lovely about the the setting there's enough energy and drive in the in the in the businesses or the ideas that people are doing but there's still a lot of connection community it's not it's not huge mm-hmm. um but then I, I also absolutely love la and um my experience of going over there is you just get lost in yeah. possibility like completely overwhelmed by mm-hmm. um neighborhoods that just run into the next and the next and the next and you know a million people all thinking that they've got the one special idea and yeah. you chuck all them in that place and and it's been like that a hundred years hasn't it yeah but actually to get lost in that i think is the reminder for me like here you could try umpteen things you might have one track but um places like that say you could try 10 different things you know people mm-hmm. go to do comedy and then they end up in acting or they go heard about a guy who went to be an actor and he was in a massive car accident mm. got facial reconstruction and came out looking like arnold schwarzenegger so he then became arnie's body double for no stunts and had a great life you know yeah and th- these kind of things that it, there's something about that size of space and it's just concrete for miles and miles yeah it definitely puts you in the mentality of like okay anything might be possible but if that gets ruined then the next thing could be there and there's another neighborhood and another experience so yeah and i'm not sure exactly what the stat is but i think it's kind of like for starting businesses like it's one in seven or something that succeed and every entrepreneur needs to have like six or seven failures before they'll find their (laughs) first thing that works um, and it's yeah like you said places like LA where that's more and more evident and yeah. there's definitely more of a grasp on that culture of like okay if this one doesn't work we'll start something else and um, yeah. it's amazing to kind of see people do it um, I'm hoping that Cathara is not just one of those seven failures but we'll see. <laughs> me too I know <laughs> I feel I feel disproportionately emotional about Cathara yeah <laughs> like oh, it can't it can't hang on the wall it can't feel it's too beautiful <laughs> I know you mean both <laughs> it, what, what was your experience of LA like when you were there what was, what was yeah it? it was great Studying like it? I was there to study um but I think study probably made up a very small part of what I did <laughs> during my time yeah. there um, I think just getting invested in kind of the, the culture. I'd been a few times before um, with friends and to visit family and stuff who live kind of quite nearby there. Um, but just, I guess, yes, like you're saying, so different to Edinburgh and so different yeah. to kind of UK culture. Um, and a lot of kind of what you would see in the movies is there, but also then like a lot of what they don't tell you is there as well. And seeing kind of <laughs> both the highs and, but also the kind of how much brokenness there is around oh goodness, LA yeah. and how many broken dreams there are and yeah. um, in Hollywood and stuff of people who went there trying to make it and um, yeah. are now your Uber driver and your um, barista and, and all, yeah. all the rest. Yeah. It's just happening away. I, I definitely with you there, I sort of get really taken. Um, I remember flying into land and thinking, oh, it's Disneyland, mm-hmm. it's the Hollywood yeah, sign, yeah. it's everything. Getting all excited about even the like um, the big gutter drain that runs through yeah, the city. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. That's where they had Terminator car chases. Yeah. Like getting excited about the plumbing system of a city. And, um, and then meeting some of the people who for 40 years were thinking that they were meant to be scriptwriters, And they yeah. are certainly past the point of of um when they're when they should be chasing it and it is a strange strange mix but it's yeah i think it is to show you like how much it takes to make it as well in a place Uh like that when you do meet someone who's been successful in their field in that sort of place it's it's a lot of years of hard work and probably a few lucky breaks as well yeah yeah Um, and that and that's a lovely one of um i suppose the guitar thing there's 
there's pleasure in the process. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. so much of what makes the, the guitar stuff great is the process of crafting yeah. it, and and the playing at the end is is where a lot of the pleasure lies, as much as sure as the the end game and the success of whatever mm-hmm. scale you guys want to hit. Yeah, yeah, and I think for us as well, it's like the uh, like I said earlier, the reward of kind of seeing this piece of wood that's been crafted over a few weeks to then seeing it for the first time in the the customer's hands or in the artist's hands and kind of seeing that then come to life and be used to um because i guess it's then something that they're creating on and they're um using in a very unique way each and every one so it's like it's not a kind of cookie cutter um thing with a guitar at all yeah it's beautiful well, mate, where can where can people connect with uh, with yourself and and with Kathara? What you're doing? Yes, yeah, so Kathara Guitar is on Instagram, Facebook, um, and KatharaGuitars.com as well. That'd be our website and probably the best ways to connect um, with the brand and probably with myself as well. I'm definitely yeah. more active on the Kathara social sites than I would be on my own. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, Matthew Corner on Instagram and Facebook as well um, for right. the odds other guitar posts there yeah <laughs> it's pretty that's much right. all the feed's been dedicated to these days is uh resharing guitar pictures and stuff so <laughs> probably losing losing the right followers but <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's posting beauty that's all fine. yeah 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 you're doing what you it's, love <laughs> yeah it's better than pictures of edinburgh castle and yeah <laughs> the kerrang and sky <laughs> yeah <laughs> love it no mate honestly i just uh it's inspiring what you are doing um i loved playing it and, and appreciate the the way that you're going about it and the unique of that so um, thank you i'm excited to explore the process of uh, getting one myself over the yeah, next yeah, yeah. little while <laughs> um as i purge myself of other gear to do it <laughs> um, but yeah it's it's really inspiring i think um chris just phenomenal love to keep chatting with him as well and mm. um brilliant scene artist taking like big swings in the last year in what's been a hectic time and I think it's inspiring for me just hearing of people taking a step and, and doing it with something as well they truly um, are amazing so pieces of kit and a phenomenal company it's like to see where they go check out Matthew yeah, at Matthew Cordoner on Instagram and at Kathara Guitars check out katharaguitars.com k-i-t-h-a-r-a and get one built they are stunning Thanks for checking us out here. Drop me a line on Mark Cameron at markcameron.co. You want to talk about music, podcasts, coaching. Thanks so much for checking us out.